1: I am talking today with, I will say, Dr. Nick Geyer, but you said just call you Nick. So, welcome, Nick, to MindShift Podcast. Yes. Was that a question? <laughs> it could be a question. Just say thank you now. Thanks for having well, me on the show. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, yes, yes we have yes. a lot. Thanks for, for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have done. <laughs>
1: Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, I'm so glad to chat with you because... I've got so, so many questions. When we contacted each other, I think I got your email, would have been formerly through the University of Idaho, but we we were able to chat back forth. And you made a comment. You said something like, we're talking about Doug Wilson and he is your most famous student. So of course you were the professor of Doug Wilson back in, I guess it would have been the late 1970s. Is that correct? Yes. um, Early eighties. I'm not Exactly, I
0: think it was early '80s when he was in my ethics class.
1: Mm-hmm. So he and took your at uh, the University of Idaho. What were you teaching yeah. at the time? Were you, you were teaching philosophy and some other subjects?
0: That's right. And he was a philosophy major, and he took, I think, every nearly every course that I taught. Yeah, is that and a it, good problem to have, or, <laughs> or what? No, it was a uh, it was a good interaction. Was it? we were re- respectful for each other. And after that first class, I believe it was ethics class in the 1980s, he came up to me and said, "Uh, Professor Geyer, I hope you don't mind if I defend the faith. And I made the fatal sort of affirmation. Go ahead, Uh, Doug. Do your worst. Yeah, right. So we had lots of debates. They were respectful outside of class. Uh, We became friends. I became friends with his father as well, Jim Wilson, and that friendship continued. Uh, I think I had lunch with him, oh, probably seven or eight years ago, and the main point of our discussion was his disappointment with his son about how he had uh, joined a Calvinist movement, and that, of course, for free will evangelicals, that Mm -hmm. is not the, the denomination follow I ask him also if he de- defend would still defend his little booklet about using military techniques to um, spread the faith and I ask him directly uh don't you think that cover with Jesus holding a big sword uh is a little <laughs> too a little too provocative Correct, right, a little off but <laughs> he said oh oh no I I mean that uh that's what we're about. So right. that was that was my last contact with Jim Wilson. And sadly he died of cancer this past year. And Doug was by his side for weeks. He moved his entire, you know, computer and, you know, what he needed to continue his work to be with his father. I, I, I thought that was a really nice thing to learn mm-hmm.
1: about Doug. One of the few nice things we could say about it. Well no <laughs> For those that are a little bit confused, okay, going back, as I understand the storyline, Jim, his father, was in the US Navy and he resigned his commission to move, I believe it was to Pullman, Washington to open a Christian bookstore. Is is that what brought essentially Doug Wilson to the area? Because he wasn't born and raised in that Moscow Pullman area, was he?
0: No, no, and I don't know where he was born, but uh Doug was and his brother uh, Ian were probably in their. I don't don't know exactly, but he moved to Moscow, not Pullman, and right. he set up he set up three bookstores. On the way, uh, Jim Wilson was very concerned about the Mormon heretics, and he thought that he had to really show them the truth of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So he set up a books bookstore, and Brigham Young is in. Boy, yeah, it to, it's in Salt Lake City, isn't it? Yeah, somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, and uh, Provo. He set up a... Oh, right. A, right in uh, the Mormon uh, Heartland, then, basically. Yeah. Go straight in. No, the, these people are... They're, they're, uh, they're serious. they serious. They're serious and uh, no old barred. Yep. So as the years progressed, he closed the one in Provo first, the one in Pullman, called One Way, uh, also was closed, and he was left with his bookstore in Moscow. And he bought the theater next to the movie theater next to his bookstore, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where he was until he, um, you know, died of cancer. Very very active. His <clears throat> Facebook was loaded with little mini sermons and that sort of thing. Very active mm-hmm. until until his death.
1: Because I understand it, Jim Wilson then, aside from that book you mentioned, or a little booklet about looking at towns like Moscow and Pullman as strategic strongholds for evangelism, because both have major universities. You've got Washington State University in Pullman and the University of Idaho in Moscow. He's looking at those areas, say, this is absolutely perfect for a, a strategic takeover to Christianize these two towns. And from what I understand, Doug Wilson has basically taken that model on board and that's a lot of the driving force behind this, basically like a sprawling religious empire he's created over the last, how many hour, many decades. Would you say that's a fair assessment of what happened?
0: Yes, exactly. Poland is no longer a target. It's um, Moscow, Idaho, Mm. and they're very serious about that. At one time, he had a Texas um, donor who had about $3 million, and uh, some of that money was um, you know, uh, put into Christchurch. And uh, a lot of students are recruited for Lagos School and for New St. Andrews. So mm-hmm. those people have moved to town. And the graduates of New St. Andrews have set up businesses, some of them, uh, in Moscow. And uh, then there's a huge uh, corporation... It's mainly dealing with labor statistics, as mm-hmm. I can understand it. It's called EMCI, and the CEO of that company is a member of Christchurch.
1: Right. It's Andrew Krabschatz, isn't it? Yeah. That's yes, right. And, and I heard they hired they hired a lot of NSAC graduates to work at this place as well. Exactly.
0: Right. Uh, he, he told the community in an interview in the paper that he has lots of non-church members and I guess we just have to take his word for that. <laughs> right. but, but I've learned that many of them uh, have quit uh, because there are Bible studies groups that uh, some
1: of these people uh, feel very uncomfortable about. All right, so, so part of the work day sort of thing, like, oh, we're yeah. going to have these Bible studies at work and yeah, pressure people to join and things like that, yeah.
0: Exactly. That's what I heard was happening. Uh, he's bought lots of properties. He uh, has bought three huge grain elevators, and during Christmas time, he lights up the elevators with "Merry Christmas." And okay. so uh, he's he's a big as uh, a mover and shaker in the town, and
1: people are very concerned. Yes, um, that's the key, isn't it? There's a lot honestly. of pushback because I have watched the documentary "My Town." I don't know if you've seen that, but it's very fascinating and I'm sure we'll get into this, around, I think it was 2004, there was a conference in air quotes about his book, Southern Slavery, as it was, and that that documentary was filmed around that time, and there was a lot of pushback by the locals saying, we're not happy about what Doug Wilson and his church are doing to Moscow, we don't want him to be the face of this town, and there's a lot of negative reactions, which makes me wonder, is his message actually finding an audience, as it were, because I've heard that a lot of people that are, are are filling the pews, as it were, at Christchurch, they've actually moved to Moscow from outside that area. They don't; they weren't born to raised there, as it were. They're not local converts. They're, he's bringing, peas recruiting people, in other words, from outside. Do you think that's sure. that's that's how it's going?
0: Uh, well, I think maybe we need to sort of correct that a little bit. Huh. That is, the people coming from the outside are students for New Saint Andrews. Right. And for Lagos School. And it's important to also correct the impression that Doug Wilson controls the K-12 Lagos School. A long time ago, there was some concern about Doug Wilson controlling that school because there were other evangelical churches in town that were sending their students to that. So Mm. I think he's still on the board, but his power there is really reduced. Because the free evangelicals, if I can use that term, in the area, uh, don't want the Calvinist influence of Doug Wilson Mm. in the curriculum. So he does not control the school. But, uh, and I don't know for sure, I think some of these students go to New St. Andrews. So my picture of Christ church in the congregation is that It is mainly local area people that are in the church and the other picture that i have of that congregation i one of my downstairs tenants is a member of christ church Mm. i was down there looking at her sump pump i have to do that on occasion and i saw a christ church material there now she is a, a totally innocent lovely lady Right. And I'm assuming that many, and they don't really know much about the co- controversy of their pastor. Uh-huh. Uh, they claim, some of them, I've talked to them, they don't know anything about it. I mentioned the slavery booklet. He said, we we don't know anything about that. Never heard he of no. no. Yeah. Uh, he's a charismatic preacher. And a lot of people say, oh, don't use that word for him. I Okay, but... That's what he is. Right, he's a good communicator. In other he's words, he's a good communicator. And if you right. read, if you read his blogs, I don't read them anymore because it raises my blood pressure. <laughs> you don't need that. Huh? He, he's very, very clever. He and is. I'm not sure. Clever by half. I'm not sure if his congregants read his blog. Mm. Right, they just go to church because people have told him that uh, he's really good pastor and that's pretty much it. right so well, they they don't sure. know the extent of it. Yes, and I'm not sure if they really understand the calvinism be- behind what he's doing. Mm. For example, child baptism. Free evangelicals do not b- baptize their children. They wait until as the standard is for Baptists and other many other Christian sects you baptize a child when they have free will enough to know what they're doing. The age of accountability sort of thing. Exactly, like going through a catechism and and that sort of thing. And I don't really want to make a lot of assumptions here, but I think Doug Wilson's affirmation of child baptism is a way of controlling a congregation, mm. right? From childhood
1: on no. into adults. Literally from infancy right the way through. Yeah, if he can get him into Logos School, then New Saint Andrews, then Greyfriars, all, and then they're going out from there and planting churches with a Wilsonian, you know, sure. sort of theological bent or whatever. Then he's achieving his ends.
0: Exactly. Now that is just speculation on my part, but that's what I think his reason is and his attraction to Calvinism with child baptism. I was baptized in the Catholic Church, but um, my mother won the war about going to public schools and and going to the Methodist Church, so it really hasn't meant much. Mm-hmm. But in Christ Church, that baptism, I think the parents are really serious about it, and what you expect, what you would expect, is that that baptized children would be, continue in that faith. Mm-hmm. So it was a recent...
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that that's associated with this federal vision theology, because that's, I don't know how much you've delved into that, but that's an aspect of the Doug Wilson controversies. I think it was back around 2002, he attended the Auburn Avenue Conference in Louisiana, and he presented some papers there, and that became known as the Auburn Avenue Theology, and that's that federal vision theology, one aspect of which is infant baptism. There's a bunch of other controversies associated with it, because I think the Presbyterian Church of USA they turned around and said that's that's heretical so they yep. they've actually condemned Doug Wilson on you know theological biblical grounds and said the stuff he's teaching uh, along with these other federal vision theologians they considered heresy so i mean that's another issue that i'm sure we could you know delve sure, into yes. It's another and controversy though yes and i got tired of reading uh that yeah.
0: material but there was a denominational Presbyterian Church of America, I think it was in June, and I forgot the year, there was a vote on the federal vision. And one of my informants uh, in Price Church was there. And uh, the vote was about 500 and odd votes to 50 votes. Uh, It was defeated quite Mm -hmm. dramatically.
1: So meaning they voted it down? They said, we don't believe in the federal vision? That's right. And Doug was trying to
0: get some sort of association with the Presbyterian Church of America. And uh, that failed. And he set up his own accredita- accrediting mm-hmm. agency to go his own way.
1: Right. So he's got the CREC. Yeah, yeah. And that's some. some have said that what that does for Doug Wilson is it provides a veneer of accountability and denominational respectability. But we've seen over the past, he's very good at Maneuvering, politicking—you know—to get his way, and so he's got his own denomination now that he helped to create. So that seems to be my impression of it, anyway. It's like a like a veneer of accountability. Is that how you would see the CREC?
0: Yes, exactly. And um, the president of uh, New Saint Andrews at the time, a former uh, faculty member, his name will come to me, but it's uh, not.
1: Yeah, uh, Dr. Roy Atwood, isn't it? Yes, I
0: I think he's still in town, but he's just sort of uh, low ra- radar at this time. We used to de- we used to debate, and uh, he was even more. Uh, Doug Wilson has always been sort of civil, but Doug Atwood was really. I mean, he really. Uh, we were we were at several meetings, and uh, he just really dug right in against me mm-hmm. in a very uncivil way. Uh, very defensive. But uh, Roy Atwood tried to get an accreditation for New St. Andrews with the major uh, accrediting agencies, where evangelical schools, they get accredited because they have faculty with PhDs. They have faculty that go to conferences, my Northwest Conference. Great scholars there making Mm -hmm. their way, defending conservative Sort of positions, but with intellectual honesty. Mm-hmm. And they get yeah. published.
1: Yeah, they're presenting papers and being yeah, published yeah. in journals and that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And some of the schools and some of the students
0: complain about the so called liberal faculty members, but the board of regents of these schools realize that they have to, for accrediting purposes, keep those faculty on. No. You know, it's very interesting dynamic. So he failed. Roy Atwood failed to get accreditation with these standard agencies. So Doug Wilson
1: set up their own accrediting agency. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's a pattern era. <laughs> yes, you yeah, you have the I can't remember what it is, the ACCS, but it's the this is accrediting agency that then accredits yes. his his classical schools models and all that, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. And Royad
0: was um, traveling the country talking about Trinitarian accreditation, and we've had debates about their position on the Trinity. That's been really fun to do, and I think they lose the debate, but uh, I had fun doing that.
1: Yeah, you've tangled with them a few times.
0: Yes. Now, I have to sort of caution my remarks. Now, maybe New uh, New St. Andrews now has more PhDs on their faculty. Mm. In the past, I have invited those faculty to come to our uh, regional conference and present. And Roy Otwood was just up in arms as I't can't, I can't send my faculty to a conference where Nick Geyer is I, I was president for for one year. Uh, but I mean that's just cutting your nose off despite <laughs> your face, right? Exactly. Send, send your faculty. See if they can defend their points of view. But in that year, in the year following, I continue to invite them.
1: Uh, they did not show up. Shockingly so, they didn't show up. Yeah, they didn't want to be on the hot seat or something like that. Well, That's I right. came across your work in association, when I, I first started researching Doug Wilson, I, I think you mentioned you listened to that episode I did with Mark Potok a few years ago. And then I started getting into his book that he co-wrote with Stephen Wilkins called Southern slavery as it was, which I believe came out in 1996. And then there was that conference, the infamous conference in 2004, which maybe really brought the whole thing into focus. It was a firestorm of controversy and everything else. You've written a lot about Southern slavery as it was. What can you tell us about the book from your point of view? Well, there are two events that really shocked me because. I thought Doug
0: Wilson would uh, continue in a free evangelical sort of line. That's what his congregation in the the body shop. He was always proud <laughs> that mm-hmm. a local body shop gave him the, the shop itself is his his church. Oh, right. Yeah. So first, I was really shocked to learn that he'd become a Calvinist, okay? mm-hmm. and, and that he had joined the uh, Steve Wil- Wilkins and became associated with a neo-Confederate organization. Uh, and then we learned, it was sort of uh, under the radar for a while, I think you're right about the, the data publication of that work, but we didn't learn about it until 2003. Uh, and then I read it, and my moles in, the, in Christ Church led me to the fact that 20% of it had been plagiarized. Mm-hmm. Even the subtitles of the book... Was... Right. He didn't even bother to change yeah. a few words around. <laughs> That's right. Steve Wilkins admitted that he had two parishioners who were full-time researchers, and they would collect all this material, and then Steve Wilson would just sort of cut and paste. Right. Not only in this book, but several other books. Yes, this is a recurring theme with Doug Wilson, plagiarism. Yes, right. And um, so I did an interview in the paper, and there was a real expose about that. And I have to credit Doug Wilson for owning the mistakes in the book. Mm. He could have said it was all, it was. he could have t- taken a Trump-like thing. It was all Wilkins. It's mm. not my fault. So I have to credit Doug Wilson for saying, I'm co-author of the book. I'm responsible for everything in it. Uh-huh. And I'm really disappointed in my good friend, Steve Wilkins, for you know making that mistake. So the book was withdrawn. But the fact is that there are hundreds, if not a thousand or two, copies of that book all over the nation and maybe in Africa where they have one of these mm-hmm. schools, yeah, or, or or Europe maybe have some schools there. I'm sure their library still has this infamous book uh, that is
1: still being taught. Yeah, and that is is a part of the curriculum for homeschooling? Because I talked to someone; she was raised in a Doug Wilson classical schools model of Christian homeschooling, and she said that you know Southern slavery, as it was, it was one of our textbooks. Yeah, so they they grew up, and then what he did was he sort of rejigged it. I think he teamed up with a quote unquote actual historian, and then re- released it as it's called Black and Tan now, isn't it? It's an expanded version, but he really hasn't changed the core argument of the original book. So even then, it hasn't been fully fully retracted. You could say it was just revamped as Black and Tan. So the core racist argument and everything is still there. Yeah, it,
0: it's much more subtle. No. As far as I know, he did not team up
1: with a reputable historian. It's well, all it all Genevieves, I guess. Um well he's, yeah. he's listed on the book as some sort of contributor or editor ish sort of thing. It, it's on the back as a blurb. Right. Okay. Some legitimacy, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's amazing. And it was invited to New St Andrews for um not a keynote, but a graduation speaker so and and Roy Atwood was really uh, pleased that he was able to do that. So I don't know what the connection mm. there is, but I knew and I don't think he was part of the writing of the book. I don't think he was a an advisor mm. and the real historian, oh boy, my memory is slipping here and as soon as I have it on the tip of my tongue, it's gone, but <laughs> He's an expert on antebellum slavery, mm-hmm. and, or the South, and his name will come to me. I can get it to you, but maybe that's not relevant. But he was a member of one of the churches, the, um, you know, they're called... Oh, the CREC?
1: Yeah. So he was they're... in that denomination?
0: That's right. Uh, and uh, he was really outraged by the book. Mm and was part of the movement to get it published and here's my take on black and tan that here was an expert on this history essentially telling doug wilson that it was not legitimate uh it was intellectually honest and doug refused to take his advice Mm, Uh, that is how i remember that right so there was. No cool author in
1: that and no I'd reputable see. historian that vetted that follow-up. Yeah, black and tan. But what was the issue with Southern slavery as I, as it was? Because I read the booklet a while ago when I was doing all the research on it, and I found out that, okay, on the, on the face of it, yes, it seems to be a quote-unquote Christian or biblical defense of, like you say, antebellum South slavery. But there's another subtext that runs through the book that I picked up on, and that is it's it's really it seems to me a defense of a fundamentalist reading a literalistic reading of the bible because they 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 take issue with the fact that they say look if the bible condones slavery which it does then if you allow for that then any crack could be you know it, it appear in the facade you can't allow for that so you can take the bible and use it as a battering ram against christians if you and so they're in a way they're like well we're forced to defend slavery because the Bible condones it, you know, so homosexuality, feminism, abortion, all these other things get lumped into that same sort of worldview. So there's another subtext, I think, beyond just a biblical defense of slavery. Would you see it that way as well?
0: Yes, that is a very good point that you're making there. And those Christians who defend inerrancy, right? that every everything in the Bible is either factual or legitimate, teaching okay you sort of end up in an incredible contortion of oh. one's emotions one's world outlook. it le- it leads into intellectual dishonesty right if you are forced to defend everything in the Bible yep. and that's Doug's view along with thousands of other preachers in the United States you find yourself in well you find yourself in, Part of the federal vision is, and this has been removed from the website, there used to be a journal called Credenda Agenda, Uh uh, which, uh, and I, uh, my uh, Trinity debate is in that journal. Oh, right. But there was an infamous article by a law student, and his job was to talk about how judges would rule in the new Christian nation it's just listed everything in the old testament like if a woman touches a man's genitals she shall be punished i don't I... know what the punishment was and of course a standard one is that disobedient children will be stoned in the town square now i think they have to make some sort of you know accommodation there yeah but i'm sure there's punishment for disobedient children right? That's biblical. And disobedient members of the church. The famous excommunication of a local uh, businessman, uh, one of the favorite hangouts for new to St. Andrews and Christian students is a bar in town, and the owner of that bar was excommunicated because he lost control of his daughter. Mm. Now, this daughter was abused by a Greyfire student. Right. But here is the twist. I mean, this is what Islam does, too. They blame the woman uh-huh. and, in turn, blame the father for the sin, as it were. Uh-huh. If the daughter had been properly, you know, cared for, this
1: yeah, if would have would.
0: yeah, and she now is speaking out against Christ Church.
1: Yeah, uh, I think I know who you're speaking of, and yeah. then I remember if it's the case, I'm thinking of Doug Wilson. Basically, there was a lot of letters and things he wrote that said blog posts where he was blaming the parents. How foolish yep. were you yep. to allow exactly. this to happen? And she wasn't properly submissive, and all the rest of it. When we come back from the break with this conversation with Dr. Nick Geyer, we're going to get into this issue of Doug Wilson and Christian Reconstructionism. We're going to go on and continue to get more insights into the strange world of Doug Wilson from a guy who in some ways maybe knows him better than most people because Dr. Nick Geyer has known, obviously, Doug Wilson for decades. Being a teacher, I think going back as far as 1977 or the early 1980s at the University of Idaho and then debating him over the years, writing articles and things about Doug Wilson. So he's got a very unique perspective. And of course, he lives right there in the Moscow, Idaho area. So he's a local as well. So he knows what's going on in the town and what's going on in Doug Wilson's ever-growing, ever-expanding, religious, sprawling empire. Now, speaking of Doug Wilson, we are continuing to do our last deep dive into the man. We've got but one more episode coming out. This one is just an exhausting amount of research that I've been doing on this. This is all about Doug Wilson, his views on biblical patriarchy or complementarianism, and then how that message is spreading in what's called the manosphere. This is something that David Johnson and I talked about just the other day in our follow-up episode to our so-called Christian defense of slavery. We got into that just a little bit. But really what's happening now is a very disturbing trend because what you're seeing Are people who are in Doug Wilson's orbit, people who have been influenced by him in some way, shape, or form in that biblical patriarchy, the complementarian camp, in terms of evangelical theology, what they're doing is they're taking that message into the manosphere, and I'm going to do a very deep, exhaustive dive into not only what Doug Wilson's views are when it comes to biblical patriarchy and complementarianism, and there's a slight bit of difference between those two in terms of emphasis and degrees. So, there's some, we got to do some unpacking there. We got to get into that. Then I'm going to talk about the manosphere and I'm going to focus on, I think, two key individuals that are taking that biblical patriarchy complementarian view into the secular manosphere. And that's a really disturbing trend. So, we're going to go into that. And I think that's going to wrap up our series on Doug Wilson. Uh, It's been a huge, long, exhausting thing in looking at Doug Wilson and all these various aspects and avenues. And there's still more that we could do. And I've mentioned this before. I've heard from a couple of you. I have enough uh, material to do a complete standalone episode just on his 1996 book that he co-wrote with Stephen Wilkins, Southern Slavery As It Was, and get into the theological war thesis and how that spread into homeschooling curriculum. There's a whole bunch of disturbing stuff that's gone on there. So if you want me to do that episode, I might come back to that later. Let's take a break from Doug Wilson for a little bit. You can always follow me. You can find me on Twitter at Mindshift2018. You can send me a DM. You can also send me an email through the Public Mindshift Podcast Facebook page. There's a couple of ways you can get a hold of me on social media. You can always, of course, be a supporter of the show on Patreon. That helps kind of defray some of my costs. Helps you know, kind of pay me for the time that I spent all these hours and hours researching and editing and doing all the work to keep this podcast going and that is something you can do. The links to that, as always, are in the show notes, and that gives you access not only to our closed private MindShift podcast Facebook group, but of course, we also do our monthly MindShift Zoom calls. We had one last month with David Johnson, which is available on Patreon, and then we're going to have Sam Turow. And I just had a chat with Sam the other day, an absolutely fascinating guy. He used to write a lot of books about sort of the anti-conception movement, the Not really quiverful, but he got picked up by a lot of guys within that community. He did stuff for Focus on the Family. He worked for some conservative sort of Christian right uh, politicians. And he's got a fascinating story. Then before he deconstructed and kind of came away from all that. So he's actually going to be our guest in the month of March. And then I think in the month of April, I'm going to have Elgin Strait, who I've mentioned before. He's an ex-Mooney. He's an American who lives over here in the UK. He lives down in London. And he also does a podcast. I met him through another podcast that I was on a a while ago, and he's an absolutely fascinating guy. And I'm going to do a podcast with him. And in fact, speaking of cults, I'm going to be doing one with Vinny Kosius. That's coming up. She was a cult survivor. I also did another one. I had a conversation the other day with Nathaniel Manderson or Nate Manderson, and he's a kind of a liberal Christian who writes a lot of articles on Salon. So there's some really good stuff coming down the pipeline. In the next few weeks, here on Mindship Podcast. All right, let's get back into the conversation with Dr. Nick Geyer as we continue to look at Doug Wilson, his most famous student. But going back to your comments about the book, it sounds to me like that article, that's straight out of Christian Reconstructionism. That goes back to guys like R.J. Rush Dooney. He was arguing that you had to have a a literal application of Old Testament law for civil society, and that would be a reconstructed society. And then that leads to the question, is Doug Wilson a Christian reconstructionist? Because he's danced around that issue for years and years and years. He's been asked straight up and he's denied it, but he's some sort of a general equity theonomist. So he believes in some aspects of Christian reconstructionism.
0: (laughs) That is how Doug Wilson operates. Right. Uh, Again, there's a Sort of Donald Trump parallel here, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, he he is a Christian Reconstructionist, right? And and for many issues, he dances around in the most clever and sophistical ways.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Had a debate. I'm sorry, my memory is is fading here. He had a famous debate with a famous atheist. Oh, Christopher Hitchens. Yeah, he had a debate with yeah, Christopher, Christopher Hitchens. But yeah, excuse me for uh, these these. Uh, momentary memory last. Yes. And Christopher Hitchens said, I've never debated or experienced a more sophistical that is a sophist, is what I am. I I taught them in philosophy, and their famous motto was making the weaker argument the stronger. Mm. And Doug Wilson is an expert at that. And I think Hitchens became a little defensive in the debate. And, and that's how he, and that's why I, in the last debate, formal debate I had with him is, was on abortion in 19, uh, uh, 1993. And he was totally intellectually dishonest after that debate. Mm. Because after that debate, he was a columnist in the local paper. And what he did was simply restate his argument in the debate without acknowledging that I had rebutted many of those points, right. and that was a major break for me with Doug Wilson. I essentially told him, I
1: don't have any respect for you anymore. Mm, he lost all You're... credibility. Well, as his, as his former professor, surely this is the thing, okay, one aspect of Wilson is he doesn't, with all due respect to philosophy, he doesn't have any formal academic training. He's never been to Bible college, he's never been to seminary, but on the other hand, he has an M.A. in philosophy, as I understand it. So therefore, he's been exposed to academic conventions. I mean, I did a Ph.D. I wrote a hundred thousand word doctoral thesis. I know what it's like to to be called up on footnotes and all that. You have to you know, have all the evidence yeah. and everything else. You can't plagiarize. You know, he knows all that intellectually. Yeah. So why? Why the plagiarism? Why the sophistry? Why the dancing yeah. around the issues? The intellectual dishonesty, he knows better as an academic, if nothing else, surely. Yeah, exactly. Right to the point. In many
0: instances, he will make fun of his MA in philosophy, right? That it meant nothing, right? Okay. So one of the implications of that is that everything he did in his courses following the rules of academe are just, you know, what to... Uh, I'm thinking of Trump again here. They just don't—they just don't count anymore because doesn't matter. Recruiting for, recruiting for Christ is the most important thing, mm. and the last time that we talked, it was not a formal debate, but his on-campus ministry. The students there would have Doug Wilson speak on occasion, and I said, "I'm going to go down and put a question to Wilson and see." if I can get him to own his own, rental, right. you know, Try to escape to, with it. Yeah, right, because I had heard from Christ Church people that I know that he told his congregants that it is permissible to lie to preach the gospel and recruit new yeah. Christians. So I wanted to put that to Wilson. And after he had spoken, I was there, and and, and it's uh, on uh, YouTube. Uh, just look up Nick Geyer and Doug Wilson, and you'll find at least two of the recordings. They are not, you know, videos. Uh-huh. But I'm really proud of the way that I handled that debate. Although I, I thought I didn't use the final point. And let me just rehearse this. Um, I I said Doug, I I've heard that you say that it is okay to lie to promote the faith. And what we got into was a, a, an interesting issue. Uh, I said, let's start with Rahab in the Old Testament. Remember, she's the prostitute mm-hmm. outside yeah. uh, the city. Is it Jericho? No, Jericho is is
1: destroyed, but. She, I mean, she survived, uh, though, because she lied, yeah. A, yeah, she lied her way to free up. Yeah, it, and she, she had She had a booth outside the city. Yeah. She was a prostitute or sex
0: worker. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she lied about something that the Israelites were trying to find out. Yeah. About uh, maybe. About
1: the spies. Yeah. That's what it was. She lied to them about.
0: Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So that became Doug Wilson's defense.
1: Mm. And
0: he made that more contemporary by saying if I were a German, sheltering Jews in my house that if the Nazis came to the door I would lie through my teeth mm. that I did I was not sheltering uh, Jews right now now what I regret to say about that is that Doug that does not defend okay that is lying in what's the right word to say that is uh, it's lying simply for one, Particular case, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you continue to lie or to promote lying. Right. You're not a liar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I regret now that I didn't make that final point that his policy of general policy of lying to promote the faith is not the same as Rahab lying to protect the spies. Yeah. Right. So um, I regret. But, but, The whole, you may want to, sometimes in debates with Doug, I didn't really do well. And I'm really proud of that. Last, I said, um, Doug, I still don't respect you, but I really want to ask you this question, right? And uh, that was the last time I engaged him. So years ago now.
1: 2007. But you still continue to write, obviously, and speak out about Doug Wilson. What's your concern? Because now the question comes up, Is Doug Wilson just a misunderstood pastor, trying to do his best and and promote the gospel as he sees it, or is he somewhere on the spectrum of a cult leader? And I've had debates with different people on this topic. What's your take on it? Why are you speaking out against what he's trying to do in Moscow? Oh, uh, it is, uh, I just am obligated
0: to speak out. Now, I don't write as much anymore. Mm because I don't want to read, read his, uh, and I get um, people telling me about what Wilson is doing. Like I say, I can't write, read his blog because it just brings up right. one of the reasons. Two traits. Yeah, um, I used to debate evangelicals all the time, and what it was just so do- disappointing. I mean, mm. I got into a sort of Br'er br- Rabbit trap, right? <laughs> right? I thought that, oh, here's, here's the right-hand punch that's just going to knock. The yeah, head. the haymaker. The right, <laughs> and the right hand gets stuck. Yeah, <laughs> in the tar baby. And then I think, oh, i got a good left hook. And it gets stuck in the tar baby as well. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so after that, you're just emotionally drained and trapped, as it were. Mm. Uh, so I just... The, the last formal debate was with Doug Wilson in 1993. I mean, I just... And especially now with my nerves frayed and, you know, chronic pain, there's Mm. no way that I'm going to do anything like that. So the last article that I wrote for the paper, there were letters to the editor, but it was about one of the Trinity festivals that Doug held every August. Uh, The first one, the history conference where Steve Wilkins was invited, uh, morphed into a Trinity festival an annual Trinity Festival. It no longer—I don't know when the last one happened—but mm. and uh, Steve Wilkins was invited again. So, uh, where am I going with this? Oh, yes, I wrote an article about fraudulent Calvinists and confused Trinitarians. Right. It, I just—you know—I it, I, it was uh, one of my best articles on Doug Wilson, and that was the last uh, column that I wrote, I believe. Uh, I've written some uh, letters to the editor, right? (laughs) One of the last ones I did is that they were boasting that they had not had any cases of COVID. And that's why uh, their mask-free sort of policy and protests in city squares uh, was the right way to go. So I wrote a a letter to the editor. I was in full satirical mode the, and the, the, the thesis was Calvinists, I have been protected. The Calvinist God has protected Christ church from COVID. Right. And this is not just ordinary street, you know, a, a denominational Calvinists. This is Doug Wilson crawling over cut glass Calvinism. Mm-hmm. I just love that. That is vintage <laughs> yeah. uh, Wilson, right? I'm a crawling... I, in a, he also could say, "I'm a crawling, overcut glass inerrant Christian, mm-hmm. right? Never a crack. That's a very good metaphor. It is. If, even if there's an incipient crack in inerrancy, we have to find, usually, a dishonest way, of covering over the crack. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the whole thing. That's, that's it. Is, yeah,
1: it, that's the cognitive dissonance, it. yeah, becomes too much. I think because. I was raised a fundamentalist Christian myself. I'm an ex-evangelical, but that was one of the things that put paid to my final, you know, vestiges of faith, like you said, because I was raised as an inerrantist, infallibility of Scripture, and all the rest of it. I preached it, I I pushed it, promoted it as a pastor for years until I couldn't sustain it anymore. When I started studying Greek and Hebrew and that, you know, textual criticism and things like that, and it, it was just too much, and I couldn't sustain yeah. it. You know, exactly yeah. what you said earlier about it. You pin yourself into a corner from which you really can't escape. So your your only options are to defend it at all costs or give it up. Exactly. And I gave it up. But Doug Wilson hasn't given it up. He's pushing no. to the hill.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he has the willpower. I, I don't want the gumption. I, there mm-hmm. are words to escape me here that is. Yeah. The adjectives.
1: You're running out of uh, superlatives to describe it. Yeah. The stubbornness. Uh, yeah. I was gonna say some have said or accused him of it's it's like Doug Wilson incorporated the whole sprawling religious and There's other aspects we haven't even mentioned, Canon Press and you know his Man Rampant show and all the stuff he does on YouTube. He speaks at conferences and obviously he's got you know, dozens and dozens of books on Canon Press. All this stuff. It's like a giant grift. because he, he's he uses nepotism and cronyism. He's got relatives and by blood and by marriage on the boards of these different entities so he could control the whole thing. I wonder how much of it is kind of a grift, like he's got to keep it going. So anybody who blows a whistle, he does shun them and excommunicate them. He can't have anyone speaking out.
0: Yeah, exactly. Major fellows or friends of his close to, there's a major Bible scholar who has a PhD in in, uh, theology, from Oxford, he was on the staff. On the staff, oh, and his his um, name escapes me you now. Right, and a mid catch though, and a member of the Presbyterian Church of America. Uh, so he found himself in a bind, mm. and he he left New Saint Andrews. And probably, I, if I could remember his name, I would Google where he is. I mean, he, it would it would be a, a real catch. under friend. In a place like, um, oh, any of the great, uh, yeah, seminaries, Bible college, yeah, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. So he left. The fellow that I debated the Trinity, Doug Jones, was Doug's right hand man, and um, after the debate on the Trinity, uh, he left the church because there was a falling out. With it. it's very hard to be close. To Doug Wilson, just like it's very hard to be on Donald Trump's staff.
1: Yeah, look how many and he's had come and go over the years. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Um, only the real, you know, diehards that don't know really
1: what's going on mm-hmm. stay with him. Yeah, or like you said, it's an interesting take. I think when you were talking about the sort of the average pew sitter in Christchurch. They've never heard of Southern slavery as it was. They've never heard of the many, many scandals, which, I mean, we haven't even get, gone into those, but I cover all those in my episodes on Doug Wilson. So yeah. People can listen to those, but I'm glad you've got stuff out there because, like I said, it's, a, it's an invaluable resource. I think you've got a, a really interesting perspective on Doug Wilson. You were his former professor. You've watched him over the decades, and you've you know combated him on various levels. So, I'm really glad that you've written what you've done because I've I've benefited personally from it, so I really appreciate what you've done.
0: Well, as I told Doug when he left with his master's thesis, all I can say, Doug, is that please use this credential responsibly, and uh, he certainly didn't. And just one note about his master's thesis, it's on... It was on free will, wasn't it? It, it was on free will. Yes, a very nice thesis. Oh, Armenian, agreed... like an Armenian type thing. Yes, exactly. And uh, we had agreed that I would not be on his committee mm-hmm. because of not conflict, but just as a matter of you know intellectual uh, principle and integrity. That, uh-huh. and he agreed. Uh, so others in my department were on the, and I read it very well written. I mean, many times with his papers, I would, I would hand them back to him. I said, "Doug, you can do better than this." Mm. Uh, this was in my philosophy of arts course where he wrote, and he's so clever. Something about the major chord, or the I'm, so, I'm sorry, the one of the chords, and it was just just so playful and and sophistical. Mm-hmm. And I would wrote right at the top, you know. More more humor than substance. Please rewrite. Right. And I, I forced him to write in a... A more right academic way. way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. An article on Albert Camus. Right? Now, thought, that's right. A real, That's a real challenge. Yeah. For a Christian. But I said, Doug, please write a straight essay here. Can you do it? Right. Can this be and done? It, yes. Right. And in the philosophy of arts paper. It was just too cute, I said. Doug, you can do better than this. So he rewrote it, you know. Mm. But that—that's in his character, right? That sort of thing. He's too clever by half.
1: Yeah, you've said that before. It's yeah. true. I've—I I've found that I've read a lot of his articles on his blog and map blog or whatever it is. And you know, he's very clever at, at using wording and twisting things around. Yeah. And he could say things five, six different ways. And when you end up finishing the article. You're kind of your head is spinning a little bit because you're not really sure exactly what it is that he's actually saying. What is the point here? He can retract and withdraw. I mean, even on that federal vision, he says he doesn't believe in it anymore, but then he'll turn around and say, "Well, the content of what I believe hasn't changed." You know, so you're going, "Well, what does that mean? What does that mean?" Yeah, he's he's a master rhetorician. He really is. Yeah. So it's
0: hard to pin him down. Exactly. And I still regret not making that final point about lying for the faith, but... Anyway. Yeah,
1: no, I know. You always do, though. After a debate, you think, oh, I should have said yeah. that. I would have been brilliant. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, we started with the question about the slavery booklet, mm-hmm. and I have one article saying, point by point, uh, here are the fallacy. Yeah, he refutes it. Yeah, yeah, right. and And one that... Simply, he's not met. And that is on page 24. That is, uh, Southern slavery was the most harmonious, multiracial society ever in history. In the history of the world. (laughs) That's not a grandiose (laughs) claim at all. (laughs) Not at all. That still stands right there in that book, unrefuted. Yeah. So, and the other theme. You were talking. You you said that an underlying theme is inerrancy, uh-huh. uh, because it's in the Bible, slavery is condoned. Death. and and he said the Bible says you must treat your slaves well and honorably, and uh, neo Confederates keep this lie that the slaves were happy campers, mm-hmm. right? happy contented. Yeah. So if that's right, you are you fulfilled the requirement of the biblical. Imperative. Now, there's another theme, and you can see this throughout neo Confederate thought. It was not only the Northerners' fault, this side of the Southern world, but it was the Unitarians. Mm-hmm. This is, yeah. yeah, that's right there in the slavery booklet. Yeah, the godless North, yeah. The godless North, waging yeah. Yeah, led by Unitarians
1: Yeah, against the godly South. <laughs> yes, right. Well, and I think he, he picks up, there's another aspect we didn't talk about, but R.L. Dabney is another aspect. They then not only plagiarized from uh, Time on the Cross, which was itself debunked in 1970s, but they, they just took R.L. Dabney's arguments for pro-Christian view of slavery. And I think Dabney did admit he, somewhere, he said, the reason that the South was judged for slavery by God was not because of slavery was evil, but because we didn't treat them according to those biblical principles. So if anything, okay. we if anything you could pull us up on, it was because no. we didn't do it hundred percent according to the Bible. And Doug Wilson will turn around and say, "Well, if you had slaves, if you could treat them according to what the Bible says, it'd be all right. You'd be fine." You know, so yeah. that's the kind of position he finds himself sort of trapped in, isn't it? Yeah, it is exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, I know you've got stuff to do, you need to go eat your breakfast, but thank you so much Dr. Nick Geyer. How can people find you? Are you do you have any presence on social media at all these days? Are you kind of ramping down a little bit? Yes, uh
0: I'm on Facebook, but I don't like what's happening there. Right. I uh I post my articles, my bi-weekly articles. I don't get any response. I think people don't want to read stuff like that. They want to had uh, pictures of their babies and, <laughs> cats. and this sort of thing, right? Yeah. So i pretty much given up on Facebook. Right. So I can just be reached at ngyre006 at gmail.com. And, well, there's a firewall for the— I write for the Idaho State Journal in Pocatello and for the Daily News mm-hmm. in Moscow, but— uh, there are firewalls there to get into the articles. Yeah, paywalls and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, pay, yeah. Uh, yeah it paywalls. Yeah. So, my email address, I do have a website, nfgeyer.com. That's real easy. And most of my articles are there over the years. Uh, some of them are not formatted properly. It's going to be a real, uh, they're readable. Yeah. Um, you can read them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when my webmaster, did it for me. Uh, some of them didn't come in completely mm-hmm. well formatted,
1: but all of my stuff is there in com. Right. There's good, and, yeah, good resources for sure. And like I said, I know I've benefited from your stuff on Doug Wilson as well. So thank you so much for all your tireless efforts. I know you're kind of retiring now. You've slowing down a little bit you're trying to recover a little bit from your some of the health problems so thank you so much for taking the time out and speaking with me today thank you for inviting me enjoyed it very much